Straight from the Mayor's Mouth, with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello there everyone and welcome to Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Hello there Matt, how are you? Hey, really good this week, thanks Mark. Thanks for asking. Oh, well, mate, not just the way I roll, isn't it? We're very personal here on this podcast. Hey, listen, let's start off by uh, that whole wonderful new track down there that's been put in there, the uh, the new path, the cement path down there, on, of course, uh, where our park run is. Now, of course, during the week, uh, it's all been set up and ready to go. I was down there this week with the park run. Uh, my time, unfortunately, has not been improved at all by the, the lay of the new cement, but uh, you seem to be absolutely flying, may I say, on Saturday. How'd you go? Well, I did declare previously that there might have been a conflict of interest with us putting that new concrete path in. Yes, I do recall that, yes, yes. And so I'm pleased to announce that, yes, I did my best time of the year. You're kidding. On Is that, that right? On that new concrete path this <laughs> week. So, so well, I'm good. glad to see it improve somewhat around here in regards to their timing. That's fantastic. It was interesting after Parkrun, though, the number of people who mentioned it to me. Mm-hmm. So, as you know, you stand around after Parkrun and have a yes. chat to a couple hundred people as well, the stand around. I normally sit there and try to get my breath back. <laughs> yeah, well, I do that <laughs> before I start chatting. But, yeah, Many people came up to me and said, oh, that new path's great. I really like it. It's yes. been done well. It's nice and wide, so it's got a good bit yes. of width about yes. it there. And obviously, there's the trees already that have been planted where the old path was, mm. as we talked about before, the regeneration there to try and yeah. hold that riverbank there together. So some trees have already been planted there to try and start that process. So it looks good down there. Our staff have done a wonderful job. They said it would take two weeks. It took a little bit less than two weeks to get yeah, it all finished. We did very, very quickly, actually. I was surprised how fast it took. And that included a bit of rain because they did a stop work for a couple of days there. I mm. remember where it was raining a little bit there. So they've done a, a great yeah. job there. And, yeah, very well received by park runners. So well done to well, our particularly staff particularly yourself, I say. So well done <laughs> in your record time. Outstanding. Thank you. Now, mate, uh, of course, last week you had the council meeting. There's uh, quite a lot to get through here today. So on today's podcast, uh, we do have a fair bit to get through and in particular I want to start off with looks as though there's a decision's been made and finally signed off in regards to the budget. So uh, tell me how did it all go on Thursday night last week? It's the arguably the biggest meeting of the year, mm. the most exciting, can I say that? Exciting, the budgets year. together. <laughs> most important meeting of the year. Oh, there that you go. That's probably a word most people appreciate, yes. Because if we don't approve the budget before the 30th of June, well then the 1st of July council operations effectively grind mm. to a halt. Mm. It used to be, back in my previous term on council, it used to be there'd be an, an extraordinary meeting held the last Friday of the financial year to approve the budget. So you had no wow, room no to... Wow, no room to move there. That's right, that's you it. had to get it done yeah. there. This now seems to be the process where it's just done at the normal last council meeting of the, the ordinary council meeting in June, and that's fine. Mm. But there was certainly it was a longer meeting than normal. It went till about quarter past nine or thereabouts right. on Thursday night. And one of the things I really was impressed with with the budget was that we received a lot of submissions. And to me, that says that people are interested, they're focused on good outcomes for the community. 67 separate submissions, 197 topics were covered in those submissions. That's a lot of submissions and a lot of topics. Yeah, that's right. And it depends how you slice it and dice it. There's a lot of different ways to look at a budget. But you could probably say in very round numbers – it's up around almost a $250 million budget. That's so, a big budget, when you think about it. That's a quarter of a billion dollars. That's a lot of money, mm. and that's expenditure in a year. So yeah, that's wow. one part of that process. So you can see it is a big business. Council is a big business, without a doubt. And we do run a number of operations outside just the core focus of council. And that's one mm. of the things 
I actually find it interesting when we do talk to Sydney councillors, for example, mm. Sydney councillors are often the standard roads, rates and rubbish. Yes. Whereas regional councillors, and not just Dubbo, but regional councillors are typically dealing with a whole range of other areas. Mm. So you've got a budget that focuses on the core activities of council, but then you've got things like a water treatment plant and a sewage treatment plant, and then you've got business units like an airport. Yes. So there's a whole range of different things that you're running, and they're all going to be accounted for in that overall budget. So... Mm. I really like the work that our staff have done this year, multiple workshops, they've yep. been presenting the information in ways... Well, it's been a huge process, hasn't it, really, to get to this stage? It has been, and that's fair enough. You wouldn't want to take five no. minutes for a, no, a large right. budget to exactly. go through. But I think the great thing about it is that the staff have been listening to feedback from councillors and presenting the information in a way that makes more sense to councillors, because yes. many councillors have got a business background and they're looking for information to be presented in a business-like way. Mm. But on council, then it seems to be presented in a slightly different format. And if you're in council circles, it makes sense. But when you've come from a business background and you look at it, some of the parts are a little bit different. But I think the staff have done a really good job along those lines to make sure that we're getting the information in the way we need it as a councillor. And one of the things that's important, absolutely critical, is that, and I think these councillors that we've got now are doing a really good job of this, if the information isn't presented in a way that gives you enough information, our councillors say, I can't make a decision on this. Mm. And we have had some items previously deferred because councillors said, no, I'm being asked to make a decision. I need more information or the information presented differently or better information before I go and make a decision. So mm. the councillors have been really good with that. But the budget, again, I'm pretty happy with where we got to. I'm pretty happy with the process. I'm not happy with the extra money that the state government whacked onto yes, our bottom line yes, after the draft budget was on display, the $2.5 million there. But in the end, I think we got there. And I, I think in general, not everyone in the community loves some of the things that we might have been able mm. to deliver on all those 197 different topics. But yes. I think in general, we've come up with a pretty good outcome. Oh, well done. All right. Now, I'm not going to go through all of these uh, Budget uh, decisions have been made in regards to it, but there are a few, though, that uh, sort of stood out that I'd like to have a bit of a chat about. Um, look, one of the things that seems to have come up here is in regards to Sheridan Road. Now, Sheridan Road's been um, one of those points of discussion we've discussed a few times on the podcast. And I know that one of the things we've talked about is in regards to uh, creating options there for safety for the kids that are, are walking from the schooling sector there out into the New South Lakes area and things like that. So it looks as though there's been uh, some money allocated for... Uh, some footpaths we put around there. Is that correct? One footpath, definitely. Okay. And as we've talked about before, we don't have a little secret bucket off to the side that mm. has other projects and we just take some money out of that. So it's always a give and a take. Mm. And so councillors looked at this one in particular. We'd heard the feedback from the schools and from residents about the need for safety along Sheraton Road, about people being able to walk along there, yeah. often students obviously walking along there. Yeah. But as we know, as we've talked about before, We've got some major reconstruction works, mm. so why would we go and do... You're putting in a permanent footpath here? Like, is this seems to go contrary if it's permanent in regards to what some of the long-term thoughts are. And that's that's the problem. Putting in a permanent footpath isn't really practical mm. because that would mean you'd need to go and do some of the permanent work to the road, which, yeah. as we know from previous discussions, we're not at that level that of doing. Been, I was going to say it hasn't been brought forward or anything, has it? No, that's, that's exactly right. It hasn't been. So we looked at that, and we were a bit um, compromised in some ways because... We want to do good asset maintenance long term. Mm. And one of the things in our budget for asset maintenance was some curb and guttering works around Brisbane and Gibbs Street. 
And so when you talk to our staff about good long-term maintenance, that's at the point now it needs to be renewed. Mm. So logically, an asset renewal, we do that. But then you look at the safety of the kids around the schools in Sheraton Road. And so in the end, councils as part of the budget said we take money from that Brisbane and Gipp Street yeah. curb and guttering work that needs to be done. Okay. So that essentially means that's not going to be done in this next financial year. So it will delay that project mm. and put that money in towards a temporary footpath along Sheraton Okay, Road. so it's going to be a temporary base, what is it, like a, a hard granity type thing? Is that the plan? or Some sort of crushed granite, I imagine yeah. it would be there. So not a concrete path, not like the beautiful new Tracker Riley concrete mm. path. <laughs> That's right. But the crushed granite like in other parts of Tracker Riley, something like that. And that would then run alongside Sheraton Road, so give somewhere for kids to ride their bike or walk down that area there. Yep. And more than likely, there'll be very little work that'll be done on that that will be then utilised long term when Sheraton Road is upgraded. So okay. it's not, you look at that and you think, well, is that the best way to use ratepayers' money to do something that in a couple of years' time you'll probably just remove or it'll be mm. done again properly? But there is a prioritisation of safety there you brought yeah. up. Yeah, so it was a tough yeah. decision. There was a fair bit of discussion around that because they're the sort of decisions that are really tough. Mm. No, that's a silly way to use our money. That's a waste of money. But what about the safety of the kids? Mm, uh, mm. You're always Absolutely. weighing up those different options. So that's one, again, yep. budget discussions, workshops, et cetera. That's one that we came up with. So that'll happen Excellent. in this next financial year. We'll have that footpath. I want to say temporary footpath. It'll be fine as a footpath. Yeah, yeah. It just means it won't be there long term. At some stage in a couple of years, uh, that'll be removed and a proper footpath. Oh, it's a good decision. Another little point uh, that I'd like to talk about in regards to the budget here is it appears as though there's been some money allocated for highway mowing. Now, I'm assuming this must be the entrance points into the town. Um, and uh, sort of saying here the fact, though, that uh, initially looks like there might have been an allocation of about $370,000 put down there for highway mowing. But uh, this has been cut back to $270,000. Has there been money put aside in the past for uh, the maintaining the entrance into the town and that type of stuff? Or what's actually happened here with this extra distribution of money as well? Yeah, most recently the budget had zero for the entrances. Oh, so there's no money. There was no money set up for entrance mowing and maintaining. No, previously, many years ago, there was. And we right. used to try and keep those entrances looking good. But it's just gotten to the point where... Our outdoor team, a lot of pressure for a lot of work that needs to be done. We've got wonderful parks, we've got sporting fields, mm. we've got Tracker Riley Cycleway, we've got all these different areas that we're trying to maintain and it just got to the point that something had to give. And this is the problem you have. Mm. When you've got a limited amount of money, when you've got X dollars in the budget and you want extra things done, sometimes you just can't do them. You've just got to make do with what you've got. So it was a decision mm. previously made to say, well, we could let – various parks get longer in terms of their grass or not maintain them at the same level and keep doing the entrances or cut back the highway entrances. Yep. So the decision was made previously to cut back that. Councils had a bit of feedback from that. Didn't look great when you drove into mm. the city. Yep. So we had some discussions around that as part of this budget discussion to say, let's put some money into that. So we ended up with our draft budget where we'd actually allocated $370,000 oh, okay. to do that highway. So initially in the draft budget, those $370,000 have been allocated to it. It's now been cut back to two cents, which is still $270,000 more than it was last year. And, the, and you're right. And the result of that will be that there'll now be some maintenance work done for those entrances, yep. but not as often as it would have been done with $370,000. Yes. And because an argument was put forward to say, 
it'll be nice to put some money into street trees to do some additional planting of street trees. So that's where the extra money has gone to, has it? So the hundred thousand that we've taken from the three seventy has been put down to street into street trees. Yep, and you can see okay. exactly what you're doing there is exactly the juggling act you're doing. So mm. there was a discussion that was brought forward. It'd be nice to have some money for street trees. How are we going to do that? Again, can't pull it from nowhere. Where are we going to pull it from? Mm. Discussed around the different programs. Has there been any money for street trees in the past? Or? Years gone by there has been, yep. but in most recent year, again, no. Okay. So, And these things ebb and flow. There's sometimes money in budgets for certain things, and you might move that money and mm. say, well, let's use it in other areas now. So there was an argument put forward, and I think an absolutely valid argument mm. put forward to say, we need to put some more money in towards street trees. Oh, where are we going to get that money from? Yep. So again... Yep. Let's see, oh, we've got this extra 370. Mm. Well, maybe we could get by. And let's see how 270 goes for us. And that'll be a bit of a test over the next year. Mm-hmm. We'll have the maintenance levels at 270 that will afford us a certain level of maintenance of those highway entrances. Yep. Let's see what the feedback is from the community. We as councillors will look at that ourselves. The staff will judge that mm. and then put that 100,000 into street trees. So that, that highway maintenance, are we just talking here about uh, just mowing the edges or is it cleaning up the areas as well or what, what's actually entail? It really is just mowing and whippersnipping yep. the whippy snipping the yep. areas there. Yep. So keeping the areas tidy. Yep. Sure, if there's a big bit of rubbish there, you'd probably do that, but it's not designed for our staff to go out and have a rubbish bag and go along and start mm. picking up that rubbish. And that's where it's great some of the volunteer groups that do Clean Up mm. Australia sort of days where they do some of that maintenance, which is absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. Again, you've got to be careful with cars. So yes. a lot of those programs focus more around, say, the river more than on the highways. Yep. But no, this this is really about maintaining the mowing and keeping those areas looking nicer from that perspective. Oh, Fantastic. Now, this uh, next little one comes up in regards to Rainbow Cottage Childcare. Um, so this is a uh, little childcare centre that council operates here in town. Um, now, I've noticed here there's part of the budget that there's been an increase of 8.5% uh, to the actual running costs here have been allocated now to the childcare centre. Um, I suppose, first and foremost, uh, have we always been involved in childcare here as, as part of our business operations? Well, one of the things that's interesting, isn't it, is that I mentioned before some of the various things that we do on council and mm. people don't always realise the things that we do. We own a childcare centre. Yeah, I didn't know that. Since 1992, we've owned a childcare centre. Oh. We started that for some reason. Ago. That's yeah. before my time on council. I don't really know why we started it, but there mm. must have been a need, a demand. And maybe back in 1992, there weren't many childcare centres. Yes. It may have been set up as a way to attract staff so that maybe staff got preferential treatment. And, and that may have been the logic back in the early days that mm. if you worked at council, well, you can guarantee to get a spot in childcare because we've got our own childcare centre mm. and we give preference to our staff. Might have been the case. But you talk about the different business operations of council. So we do own a caravan park. Yes. As I said before, we treat water. We've got three water treatment facilities. We've got sewage treatment we've got to do. These are all Mm. separate business units that we run. Yeah. The Old Dubbo Jail, that's a tourism facility. The Western Plains Cultural Centre. Wellington's Cave. It's broad, isn't it? It is very broad. Mm. But again, there there was a discussion, again, before my time on council, I do remember, because we've had kids at Rainbow over the years, I do remember there was a a discussion back maybe the early 2000s about council taking Rainbow out to be a a separate committee. I don't know they talked about selling it at that stage, but it may be a separate committee. And that had people marching on council and protesting Mm. at council. Mm. And in the end, the councils of the day decided to keep it there. One of the problems that we have at the moment at council is that last year, 
Rainbow Childcare, Rainbow Cottage Childcare facility lost $430,000. Right, okay. Is this, an, this the reason for the 8.5% fee increase? Is that right? Exactly right. So there's a discussion. This council has been very focused on be- making our bottom line better. Mm. So one business unit bleeding $430,000, that means it's being subsidised by the ratepayers of Dubbo mm. to the mm. tune of $430,000. And you look at that and you look at other childcare centres mm. in Dubbo and you think, well, they're opening up. There's a lot of them opening up now. There'd Surely they're making money. 20, 30, I suppose, in town. There'd be a lot You'd now, You'd have to think. It, I don't know the number. You'd have yeah. to think 30, at least in Dubbo. Yep. And I see new ones opening up from time to time. And I think, well, they're not all opening up to lose money. No. Surely they're not all losing 430 grand a year. If you're an independent operator, you don't want to be losing $430,000 a year. And if it's a service to the community, in other words, if it's a park that everyone can go and throw a frisbee around or play sport on the weekend, mm. you expect there to be a cost to council. But for childcare, the beneficiaries of childcare are the users mm. of the childcare centre. Mm. So it seems unfair on the ratepayers of Dubbo mm. to be subsidised to or to have paying a subsidy for people to go and use that childcare centre mm. for the small number of parents in yeah. comparison to the whole. Is, is this LGA. potentially one of the business operations in town that must be looked at in regards to? ongoing viability, I suppose. Well, we are looking at all the business operations and whether we can take it externally in some way, lease it out, for example, mm. whether you sell them off, whether you have some sort of different management structure, or in this case, the decision of council was, well, while we're still looking at all those different options, mm. let's put the prices up because we can't we can't be fair to the ratepayers of Dubbo and keep bleeding $430,000. Mm. So 8.5%. You would argue it's probably not much more than the real CPI, yeah. but certainly more than the rate pegging amount, the 3.7% rate pegging. But yeah. the rate pegging applies to rates. Yes. The various businesses, various operations we have at council, those charges are independent of the rate pegging right. amount. So, so, so they're not connected to the rate pegging. You, you're not held back in that area. No, exactly right. So <clears> the decision was made by council as part of the budget, 8.5%. Mm. That will go up, but that will go up from the 1st of January because the rates are normally set for a calendar year. Right, okay. So we've made the decision now, but that also gives parents time to mm. say, well, let me have a look around. Are there other childcare operations mm. that are better priced? Do I want to move my kids? Do I just accept the fact that I've been getting a pretty good deal so far? It gives parents six months to look at that. Okay. And often parents make the decision around a calendar year because that's when their kids are going into school mm. or whatever. So those mm. decisions can be made for them next year. But yeah. again, that decision there, we need to keep a sharp eye on our business operations and the finances there to be fair to our ratepayers across yes, the city. Absolutely. Well, I suppose the next question is in regards to uh, future budgets. You talked there about rate pegging um, in regards to it and how – you say the inflation rate sitting somewhere between seven eight percent. You've been told here by state governments that uh, you can only raise the rates by three and a half percent. You don't have to be an overly bright man to work out the fact that there's a bit of a difference there, over in regards to what the overall costs are increasing by, but what you're allowed to increase your cost by. So, are we financially sustainable at, as a council for the next year? Definitely. for the next 12 months we're okay that's right and the the budget's been approved on that and and we've got a financially sustainable position well beyond that is is this something we can continue to do to to sit at this three and a half percent if that becomes a rate peak let's assume inflation drops to a reasonable level again but i suppose year by year you have to make that decision um but to, to me personally if i'm sitting here going if this continues how do we continue to operate as a council? Is this simply a case of we have to cut back services or can we apply to actually to increase the rate levels? 
all valid questions. And the interesting process is that IPART, the Independent Pricing and Regulatory Tribunal, makes a decision each year on how much councils can put up their rates by. So this year, it was 3.7%. Yep. But as we've talked about, inflation's probably been running at 7%. Mm. So hold on, that doesn't make sense. Mm. Can that keep happening so, now? Again, Philip Lowe certainly hopes that the interest rate, right. or, sorry, the inflation rate doesn't sit Let's at 7%. Hope he's something here. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. But, and, and for example, if inflation was at 3 or 4%, IPART might say you had to put your rates up by 2%. Mm. If we look at the next financial year, then these are the rates that have gone up by 3.7%. That's done. But other councils, there have been 17 councils, there's 128 councils in the state. Right. 17 of those have applied for what's called a special rate variation. Okay. And those have been quite significant in some cases. So if I give you some quick examples, mm. Armadale have applied for approximately 50% Rate increase what? over a three-year time frame. Oh, okay. So right. that yeah, smooths it out a little bit. Though. It's significant. Yeah. Tenterfield has applied mm. for an 86% rate increase over two years. 86%. So it's close you, enough to 100%. So that's basically doubling you your rate. That? Like that's, that's incredible. And they do have to justify it. That's the thing. You've got yeah. to put a submission into IPART to justify that. Lithgow Council, they've actually put a submission in that had a variable one, which I haven't normally seen. Normally you put in for a specific amount, but they put in somewhere between 38 and 46%. But for one year? For one year, in a one-year hit. Wow. And this is the problem we've had. Because rate pegging has been in place for so long, mm. councils typically leave the rate pegging in place. They go along at that rate. They try and make sure that they fit the services to the income they've got coming in. Yeah. And then sometimes they do a bit of a catch-up and do a, say, a bit of a jump. I was going to say, it feels like a catch-up sort of moment that we're, we're so far behind, we have to get this money in somehow. Yep. Now, one of the things that we did in our resolutions from the last council meeting was that we said we would actually do over the next year mm. some community engagement, a bit of education with the public around our financial position and the potential mm. for a special rate variation. Now, the whole point of that discussion with the community will be, here's our financial position. We want to make sure we're sustainable for the long term, not just for the next 12 yep. months. Yep. And so if we keep the rates just at the rate peg amount, yeah. we think that we will have to start to remove or reduce some services, and this is what that might look like. So the highway mowing, for example, yep. it's just one random example, yep. No, we're not going to be able to do that highway mowing or whatever it might be. So that whole piece around education mm. and looking at that, that's where it'll be part of the, the process to, to communicate, mm. do some consultation. Mm. Or if we like to keep the services we've got now, yep. and if you want to get some extra things that you might like the sound of and might mm. like to keep adding in the community. It's going to come at a cost. It's going to come at a cost. And what might that be? We might come up with a number and put some scenarios to the public Again, none of this is saying that we're going out and applying for a special rate variation. Sometimes councils make the decision first yep. and then go out and do the consultation to let people know what they're doing. But mm. we thought we'd take a slightly different approach and just have that conversation with the community. Mm. And if we hear from the community that they really want to keep improving the community, add extra services, et cetera, et cetera, yep. then the community is more or less saying, yes, I'm okay with some form of increase. Now, I would never like to be on a council that starts to talk about some of those 50%, 86%, some of yeah, those sort of amounts. That yeah. seems incredible. Absolutely. I've only ever been involved in one special rate variation in all my time on council, and that was specifically for the theatre. Oh, okay, yeah. And yes. to build the theatre, we went out, a lot of public consultation, a lot of discussion with the community around the theatre, yep. and then at the end of all that, we went out and did a two-year 2.5% rate increase, so 2.5% yeah, right, okay. one year, 2.5% increase the next year, yep. and that was specifically 
that was, money was, was that on for top the of the, the normal sort Correct. of rate increase? Yeah, yep. so the normal rate pegging plus two and a half percent for two consecutive years, mm. and that was a pretty comprehensive process. And we mm. had a really big thing that people wanted to build. Majority of people, not everyone, yep. but the majority of people wanted to build in the community. So that was a, I think, pretty good process that we went through, and people were generally accepting of that process. Yep. So I found that a good experience, but yeah. again, I really wouldn't like to be, and I have talked to some of these other councils about some of these rate increases, mm. and obviously they're getting a fair bit of pushback from the community no, around these so, high suggest. increases. So yeah. keep an eye out for that. That'll start next financial year, just that general education and discussion, and tell us what you think. Tell us yeah, whether you want absolutely. fewer services at the same cost or more services for more cost. Yeah. Sort of moving on uh, from the budget, um, this is a little interesting little one that sort of came up here during the week in regards to, uh, I'm going to try to talk this through with you. It's the first ever moment uh, where the Wellington Aboriginal Action Panel and the Dubbo Regional Council have joined together in a partnership agreement. Um, now, what is actually, what's actually happened here? What is this partnership agreement and what's it about? Let's go back just one small step. Sure. Back in... My last time as mayor, and I'm just trying to remember, it might have been around, say, 2015 was the last time I did it. We had an MOU between... A motion, uh, uh, MOU? Uh, sorry, Memorandum of Understanding. Understanding, that's it. Yep, yep, that's fine. Uh, between the Dubbo Aboriginal Community Working Party, mm. the not very good acronym of DACWAPU, but, but <laughs> anyway, Dubbo Aboriginal Community work on that one. Working Party <laughs> and Dubbo City Council, and that MOU basically just laid out some ways that we would interact with each other. Right. And, and again, the last time I remember saying that was about 2015. Yeah. Go forward, amalgamation, new council. For whatever reason, the new council didn't choose to go forward with anything like that. Mm. And when I came back on the council, I was talking to some Aboriginal people about a particular thing in the Aboriginal community. Mm. And I said, well, we've got an MOU, so let's go and look at that and let's see how we can interact with that. But then when I looked, we didn't have an MOU. I assumed we did because right. we used to have before and I thought it would have just kept rolling over. Typically you sign these for maybe a two-year time frame. Yep. So I said, well, we need to get that fixed up. So we spoke to the Aboriginal Community Working Party and put together an MOU. And on the 14th of June last year, we then signed that agreement with the Aboriginal Community Working Party and Dubbo Regional Council. So what, what does the, the agreement actually look like? What's, what are some of the details of it? Well, let me get to that. Just okay. one second. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> on the back of that, we then talk to the Wellington Aboriginal Action Panel, which has got the much better acronym of well, WAP, because yes. it's got two A's in the middle. Yes. And we talked to them and they said, well, we think we should have an agreement in place as well. Okay. And I, I absolutely agree. I said, yes, definitely we should have that. So we then signed a partnership agreement. Now, they didn't have one previously with Wellington Shire Council. So this was a, a first one that mm. they'd ever had in place. Mm. What does it mean? Mm. It really just puts some rules in place for things that happen anyway. Right. And that's sometimes what you do with some of these policies and agreements. And one of the things that's really important, I think, in this scenario, it's a bit like an employment agreement. Mm. If you all just act nicely and use common sense, you never need an employment agreement. Mm. But sometimes things happen that maybe a different person comes along or something happens that someone doesn't like. It's nice to have things written down when everyone's talking mm. in a friendly fashion mm. to say, well, what are the rules around this? How do we do this? Oh, let's go and look at the policy. We all agreed mm. and all signed when we're all happy with it because obviously these policies go out to the various people in the organisations yep. and then there might be some changes and then you come back and 
modify and there's draft copies, etc. Yeah. till you finally get to that last one. Mm. And really what it is, is doing what you would think you should do anyway. Dubbo Regional Council and the Aboriginal community, in this case of Wellington, but, mm. but obviously previously Dubbo, are going to work to make sure we've got a good community, we're all one, we're all working together, we're communicating, we're doing things together. For example, NADOC, when NADOC events are on, we'll do a flag raising on council land with NADOC to make sure we celebrate NADOC. There's reconciliation plans we're working on. It's really just to say, let's all get along friendly, let's mm. all be nice to each other. But just in case something happens where things are a bit tense for whatever reason, let's go and look at the document we all mm. signed and just see how we should deal with it in that scenario. So, so does it only deal specifically with uh, and any issues that would involve Aboriginal people or is it a, a general type of a agreement? Absolutely. It's about Aboriginal interactions with the Aboriginal community in, in this case, the Wellington community and the Dubbo community. Would it have anything to do with building constructions or anything like that on sites or anything like this? No, it really is focused on just the relationship, if you like, and it's really about cementing the relationship we've got in place. In an ideal world, you would never need a contract. Mm. In an ideal world, you'd never need a solicitor, but that's a whole other issue. Mm. But yes, in an right. ideal world, you wouldn't need a contract. An, an employment contract is a classic. I, I once heard one person talk to me at a, at a conference, or not talk to me, speak at a conference, and they said, the mm. day an employee goes to the bottom drawer to pull out their employment contract is the day you've got a problem. That's right. Because it means there's some issue that they go, oh, mm. I want to check the rules on this. Yeah. And all of these things are exactly the same. There are times people have differences of opinion, and that's fine. We're all individuals. That's mm. great. So these sort of agreements are in place to make sure that when those differences of opinion happen, we've got some rules of engagement. Mm. But generally it means we're going to strive to work together for the betterment of the entire community. How can we do that? There's a whole bunch of different ways mm. that we can do that. And most of the ways are ways that are just common sense. You'll never go and look at that document, but it's there in case you need it. And we did the signing at the Malian, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. I, I'm not sure if I ever get that right. The, yep. the Malian Cafe down in Wellington. And that's a perfect example of council working with the Aboriginal community. So we've, for example, got a cafe and an art space right. in Wellington at Cameron Park. Their facilities that council owned, council spent money, we've received mm. grants previously to spend money to do those facilities up. So we've got a, a wonderful working cafe and this art space. And so we've actually leased those to the Aboriginal community in Wellington for a dollar a year. Mm. We want the Aboriginal community to go and use those facilities, employ Aboriginal people, give people a start in terms of getting their first job yep. maybe, use that art space to get some people that are involved in art in Wellington. Yep. Can you have an exhibition here? Can you sell some of your artwork, some of your paintings, some of your didgeridoos, mm. et cetera, out of that space? Because mm. again, I think some of the solutions we see for people in the Aboriginal community, yep. some of the solutions we see for people in low socioeconomic environments is work getting work, yep. getting work where, again, they can have pride in themselves but also earn some money, yep. that all sounds like a fantastic outcome. So, again, we did that agreement without having this partnership agreement in place. But it's those type of things. Mm. What opportunities do we mm. have? How can we improve that? I mean, one of the discussions I had, which we won't talk about in detail today, sure. but I had a discussion with the New South Wales Telecommunications Authority during the week, and one of the issues that I talked about there was Nenema Village. Mm. Out at Nenema Village... You, which is just on the outskirts of Wellington, the uh, other side of Wellington as you're coming from Dubbo, there's no mobile home reception there. And I did hear about one story, one terrible story, where someone did have a heart attack in the shower and 
they had to, to get on a mobile phone, one of the kids had to run yeah. to the top of the hill to get uh, a mobile phone call out to try and get some emergency yep. services out there. We're living in 2023. That's right. It should it, never happen. That's right. Now, again, signing this partnership agreement doesn't mean we're going to go and yep. get someone to build a tower out there and suddenly have mobile phone reception, but it's yep. just working towards good outcomes for the community yep. and the Aboriginal community, walking together, walking hand in hand. So it's also about, obviously, respectful protocols and making sure those sort of things are established appropriately as well. Is that the type of thing too? or All those things. So, again, you'd hope that that happens anyway, but we've got a document there. And yeah. anyone that's interested, it's a public document. I encourage okay. people to go and read it. And some people might say, oh, no, I'm horrified by this. This is terrible. Yeah. And we'll, again, typically re-sign these every two years' time. But if someone yeah. said this some drastic thing there, we've made a mistake, mm. and both parties agreed to it, then certainly mm. you can go and change it. Okay. But it really is just signalling that we're working with our Aboriginal community in mm. both Dubbo and Wellington to really achieve great outcomes. And I, I actually think it's been really positive. Mm. Every council I've been involved with has had at least one Aboriginal councillor, so Rod Towney last time, and this time we've got two in Pam Wells and North yes. Burns. Yes. But I just think having those general conversations and understanding the different needs and desires of all parts of our community, yeah. and keep in mind, we've actually got a good mix on council because we've now got... 15.6% of our community is Aboriginal. Right. We've got 18.5% is multicultural. Sorry, that's I shouldn't say multicultural. 18.5% were born overseas. Yes. So we've got this real melting pot do, of history that goes back 60,000 years yeah, yeah. and history that goes back five seconds. Mm. And mm. having Shibley Shoutery on council, mm. representing, if you like, I mean, we're all representing everyone, but yes. essentially representing the fact that we've got this great community that's born overseas. I mean, Shibley's only been here for 10 years and yeah, he's on council. That's right. So that's that great melting pot. Mm. So I think we're doing a really good job. Is it perfect? No. Can we get better? Yes. Mm. Hence, we have these sort of yeah. agreements in place. But gee, I think we're going well in getting everyone to come together as one community. And that's ultimately what we want. We don't want to see people as multicultural, born overseas, yeah. Aboriginal. We want to see people as people. Yeah. And once you get rid of colour and race out of your eyesight – then you just see people as people, and that's got to be a better thing. But we're not there yet. No. So we've got, nice point, though. We've well got done. a little way to go. Keswick Estate. Now, this land, uh, we first started talking about uh, Keswick Estate, it's, uh, going back probably late last year. Um, now, there's still land available up there, as we know. Um, Matt, what's happening here? What, why, why is it taking so long to sell this land? Well, so many people want to move to Dubbo. Mm. There is Are a we housing short of land and stuff like this? Is that the core that we need more land? We need more building? We need more housing. There's on? a housing shortage in yeah. Dubbo because everyone wants to be here in Dubbo, which yeah, is fantastic. It's, it's good. Put some land for sale on the market, and mm. we did an auction, and we went well with the first auction, and the next two auctions didn't yes. go so well. And now here we are. That was about October last year. Here we are mm. in June, and we've still got lots of blocks for sale. So one of the things that we talked about at council was, hold on, maybe council staff are not skilled at selling blocks of land. That's not why they were employed. I'm sure in their resume it wasn't important to say real estate sales yep. to get a job in our admin at council. So mm. maybe our staff aren't brilliant at that. So the blocks are now with the real estate agents, aren't they? So, so you, you can buy it through local agents here in town. And that's exactly the decision we made. We said, well, let's get it out to the agents. So we put out a public expression of interest and we had six agents who came back and said, yes, we'd yep. like to sell those blocks of land. We went, great. Excellent. Your staff are skilled mm. and focused on selling. So that's it. We'll get mm. rid of all these blocks of land now. End of story. Mm. 
but it's not. No, they're still not selling, probably to the extent we'd like to see them sell. That's exactly the problem. So we actually had an internal meeting during the week to say, what's going wrong here? What are we doing? Do we need Mm. to get rid of the fact that there are six agents selling it and just get it down to one Mm. agent selling it, for example? What is the problem here? Mm. Now, I didn't know, and, and I must admit, most of the people in the meeting that we had didn't know, that there's still these blocks are still not registered, which means you can't actually build on these blocks yet. What? So people who have bought the initial blocks back in October, they still haven't put a house on it yet? Still haven't been able to start to put a house on it yet. Okay, the obvious question is why? And that's a very good question. And before I answer the question why, mm. I actually want to apologise to those people because when you buy it at auction, now they were bought off plan. People knew they couldn't start building on it the next day. They knew they were buying off plan, mm. but there was construction work to be finished and there were certain processes that had to be completed and that was fine. So yep. people would have realistically expected that maybe October, so maybe by February or March this sure. year, they'd yep. be building cool. a house. Yep. But here we are in June and they still can't build a house. Mm. And so what's happened during that time frame is there has been an issue with getting the construction, the physical construction of those blocks ready. So I'm talking about underground infrastructure, I'm talking about street lights. Is issue? Has there been problems with that or, or what's actually gone on there? I don't know the exact reasons. We obviously tender out these jobs and, and yep. then there's a contractor that wins a tender and away they go and do the work. So I don't know the exact reasons. I know there have been issues in getting some materials. I know I talked to one developer, not on this project, but on another mm. project, and they said stormwater pipes that obviously have to go underground. Stormwater pipes, you might wait 12 months at the moment. Mm. In the past, you'd order some and next week they'd turn up because there's a stockpile somewhere. Now you mm. order some and they say, sure, you're in the queue and in 12 months' time you'll get them. Yeah, so right. that underground infrastructure, and then if you've got that underground infrastructure, mm. well, you're not going to and dig one trench for one and then say, well, we'll fill it in and then when the next thing comes that we need, we'll go and do that one. Yes, you want to yes. do all that work at the same time. So I know there have been some delays possibly from that and possibly just from lack of people. Here's the, the bit of a, yes, a catch-22. Yes, common sort of problem across the board. Yes. We don't have enough people, so we need more housing yeah. to house more people that want to move out here, but we can't mm. get the housing without enough people mm. to actually go and build mm. the blocks that need to be built. So mm. there's delays on is, is, both sides. Is this sides. all part of the reason why the blocks still aren't selling because people know this is still part of the problem? Or And that was the conclusion when we had this internal meeting about it. Mm. Well, people probably aren't going to buy the blocks if they still can't build a house on it yeah, yet. Yeah. And so we thought it was a bit frustrating that they weren't being sold. And then we thought, well, maybe the agents, they're not really pushing them. But again, if I was an agent and someone walked into me mm. and I say, well, I've got these blocks here yeah, that you, you can, can build, build on. Tomorrow. That's right. Yeah. Or these blocks over here. And sometime in the near future, yeah. maybe you should be right to go. Yeah. So that's been a bit disappointing. Again, I do apologise for that. So we wanted to go forward and say, well, what's our time frame? Talking to the contractor, getting some information back in terms of just mm. the various processes that have got to be completed, mm. at an approximate estimate, it's probably three months. Yeah, right. So, so you're it's probably still talking three months until someone can start to build. Probably talking about the end of September. Now, okay. there's a pretty critical timeline here, mm. or not pretty critical, a critical timeline here. When you buy a block at auction, you've got 12 months. Oh, if really? you can't then, if it's not registered, not ready for you to go in 12 months' time, you can say, no, I want my money back, thanks. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're talking September before you can start, and October was when the first blocks were purchased. So mm. you're almost at that 12-month period. That's right. And that's disappointing for those mm. people because, again, I'd be disappointed if I bought a block at auction going, whoa, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. And you pay your deposit. Well, there's so much emotion associated with it, yeah. isn't there? You get excited. You this can't is, wait. You've got the plan, new, the vision's the in the house. head. Yeah. yeah. So 
from there till now, mm. that's bad. But it might be September, so it might be eleven and a half months that's before they finally get it. Best case scenario too. Now, if it goes past that, people could, and they won't necessarily, but people mm. could say, "I'll cancel it, thanks. So I'll get my money back." Mm. Now, we don't want that to happen. We want them to be finished, and we also want to keep selling them. So yeah. we've got the pressure on the contractor to say, "Please finish it off, not do a rush job. Yeah, yeah. Please finish it off." We need this finished so that we can get these blocks registered is, and people can start just building them. Just that, is there some sort of legal obligation that the contractor has, you know, particularly if you're in a situation where you've bought a block in October of last year, is it council's problem or is it the contractor's problem in regards to getting the, the whole area set up and ready to go for people to go and build on? Well, ultimately it's council's problem, mm. but we've engaged a contractor and there might be certain timelines in that contract and sometimes there are penalties if you don't finish things on time, etc. But it's probably the reputational damage as well. That's mm-hmm. one thing that I'm certainly concerned about. Yeah, yeah, People cool. then say, well, don't buy a block off plan off council. They take mm-hmm. forever to yeah. get it done. Surely they can just rush through their own DA. No, we don't. We still mm-hmm. have a, a Chinese wall between <laughs> our plan department. It's a classic department. example of how it works, isn't it? That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. And so our plan department does have to still approve DAs from our property development team and there's mm-hmm. all the same processes to go through there. But it is disappointing. I've apologised, and I do apologise again because I'm a bit disappointed about that. But I'm hopeful that once we get these blocks registered, then the sales will start to go, and, and we'll get a better indication then of what any issues might be mm. once they're registered, once people can start building on them. Mm. Old OJ. Uh, it's a great spot to visit. Out the front right now, though, it's looking like a construction site. So tell me, uh, I know this this grand vision and the plan for getting this this uh, forecourt area uh, done up looks absolutely magnificent. The plan looks fantastic, but uh, are we any closer, Matt? Like I noticed during the week there that we had another site visit. Um, checking out, I suggest what's been uncovered underneath. It's been the big holdup, but uh, what's been uncovered and and how long are we looking for before we can actually start this beautiful new forecourt area? The brief. Recap is that we demolished some buildings there and the contractors, we seem to have trouble with contractors at the moment, the contractors <laughs> were under instruction today, uh, to definitely not go below a certain level of the ground. There was a suspicion that there might have been some various bits and pieces under the ground right. at a deeper level. So when you clear up that car park there, don't go down too deep. Mm. And of course, they went down too deep, hit something, mm. and then once they informed us, then we've got an obligation to go through a heritage process. It'd be nice to maybe hit, I don't know, some uh, I don't know, big sections of gold or something there. A chest. Yeah. Surely, bury treasure. Chest full of buried treasure. I love that idea. <laughs> yeah, right. That'd have been great. They might not have told us about it, though. <laughs> <laughs> so they hit some footings there. Okay. Then we've... In- footings of an old building, was it? Or? Well, we weren't sure. Okay. So we talked to Heritage New South Wales. They said, you've got to have a good look at what's there. Mm. We've engaged a consultant. And what we did the other day, we had a site visit, which was mm. fantastic. Councillors, council staff went along and had a look. And they've dug down to a certain level. Mm. And I, I saw a wheelbarrow there and obviously some people there that were using instruments. You can't just come in with a, a big... Oh, so it wasn't just a big picket sort of thing. You know, there's a big pickaxe sort of thing. Nothing like that. There, and, right, and okay. Nothing like a, a big scoop that just comes yeah, in on a bit of machinery. Just rip it all out. And I do remember when we visited Egypt at some time previously, there were lots of people still working around the pyramids, mm. still trying to uncover things. But there were a lot of people with very small shovels or yeah, very small things. implements 
and wheelbarrows. Yes. It looked like very hard, hot, tedious work. At least mm. the work that's been done here wasn't hot because it was in winter. Yes. But I imagine they were doing something similar where they were mm. being very careful with their excavation. Not to disturb anything. And exactly sort of right. Stuff. Yes. And what they found was a whole variety of things. And so one of the consultants went through and spoke to us during the week about it some of the parts that were found, and mm-hmm. we're talking back 1850s, 1860s. Okay. We're talking about potentially a courthouse, maybe a previous wall of the jail. Right. There's plans that show a wall was in one spot, but it didn't look like the wall was built there because they probably progressed further than that. Mm. So a whole range of things, huge historical significance. Mm. So we said, well, this is fascinating. Mm. And at the moment, the way it looks, is just looks like a, a bit of a rubbish tip for mm. various bits and pieces. But when the consultant started explaining, here's this wall here, and you can see that that's probably 20 years difference from this wall here. And then you can see these bricks over here, they've been reused from this part over here. So again, when you get some experts along. So I suppose like uh, you and I both sort of seen a lot of these old sort of setups around the place, around the world, and uh, normally they put those lovely little... uh, perspexy type things over the top is that the plan for this to sort of just put a bit of a perspex over the top there and um, you can look at it and say oh look there's some old footings happy days let's get into the jail that was the first question we asked so Mm -hmm. obviously it was too big an area to put a perspex viewing platform over the whole lot but pick a little area yeah surely you could just pick one little spot here for certain area now (laughs) what will happen from this is the consultant will do a report on what's been found right and detail the various information, photos, they've done a 3D scan of it, all sorts of information. Mm-hmm. That'll go back to Heritage New South Wales. Right. Heritage New South Wales will then tell us what we're allowed to do in terms of a treatment. Now, when we mentioned the idea of some form of viewing, they said that if you did that, which is an option, right. because that would then be exposed to the air rather than being covered underground, that little section, let's say, for example, we had... A one metre by one metre or two metre by two metre piece of perspex over a certain section, inside that, under the perspex, inside that would have to be humidity controlled and temperature controlled. Is that right? Now, the first reaction what, is... some old rocks and things have been sitting there for 150 years? That have been buried for that long? <laughs> you go, well, they've been buried underground. Surely not. Oh, no. But exposing them could accelerate the decomposition of that, which would be bad. So therefore, if you want a viewing platform, sure thing councils, we can have that, but it's just going to increase the bill dramatically to install it and to also keep it running because it's got to be humidity controlled. More than likely, the information or the recommendation that will come back from Heritage New South Wales will be to put a form of geofabric over everything that's been uncovered to protect it, then to put sand or some substance of a certain composition over that to then protect that right. and then to put your normal soil on top to then go back and continue on so with the normal project. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me just get this all right. It's just my poor little layman understanding here. So we've spent now the best part of the last 12 months getting this sort of process to the point now where we've we've discovered the fact that there's some old footings sitting in there. We've put all this money and effort into digging them all up to sort of see the fact, okay, this is what we got. Now you're telling me that the next process is covered up again, pretty much. What does it sort of say? But with some nice fabric over the top so it doesn't decompose. Can I ask, look, again, I probably sound very facetious, and all those people out there who are probably sitting there going, yeah, it's a very important process, and I'm sure it is. Can I ask, why? What, 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 why, why do we need to sort of go through this process to turn around and cover it all up again? What, are they going to dig it up again in 100 years and think there's some more footings there, like? Let me, let me go a bit further. Probably the recommendation from Heritage New South Wales will be also that we need to do some interpretive signage. So they might... Oh, so they put a sign up? 
we can say put, this is what it's got here. We've got the photos. This is what's right. under the ground here, folks. There, there's the sign. Where you're walking, oh, underneath that, here's what it looks like. If that's the case, like. it's all worth it, obviously. Jesus <laughs> 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 Oh, no. <laughs> so we'll wait for the advice back from Heritage New South Wales. That's the state government. Yep. They outrank us. Yes. So they will tell us what to do. If we said, well, that's just stupid, mm. which I'm picking up in the tone of your voice, you may oh, be please. saying that. No, surely not. Surely not. <laughs> so if they, if we just said, that's just stupid, we're going to do what we like, yep. we'd be in trouble from Heritage New South Wales. Mm. So we'll have to follow their recommendations, and we can have some back and forth with them, but ultimately mm. we'll have to follow, even though it's, it's technically mm. council, community-owned property, that's our property. Yep. They will tell us what to do from a heritage perspective. Now, it may well be that we do work on some way to expose it and actually let people see it, because I personally think that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. But if you tell me and to cover that up with some perspex and have it humidity controlled, it's going to add hundreds of thousands of dollars and then add our bill yeah, yeah. of another ten thousand dollars a year. These things aren't cheap, you know. <coughs> most of them generally aren't. Not cheap to build, not cheap to run, mm. I would imagine. But again, we'll have to look at that, look at the costings of that mm. and get some community feedback. Is this, is, is this going to affect any of the current plans? Like, that's the other question, I suppose, in regards to it now. Um, do you have to do some changes now to the plans, knowing the fact that this stuff's under the ground? Because I'm assuming, that, you know, you can't just now rip up some sections to, to put some cabling wiring in or whatever. A couple of things will have to change. There is a, an artwork, a large artwork, which, as far as I know, has actually been finished. It's sitting up in Queensland at the oh, moment, really? waiting to come down. Yeah, right. That will require some footings to go down on one edge of the building. Okay. So we'll have to be careful where we put those footings to, once we know that these parts are there. Mm. But the other thing we we're going to do was we were going to move uh, – there's a small substation on the site there, which right. is not in a great location. When there were buildings there, it was fine, but yep. not in a great location when it's that nice open space mm. that we're going to have. Mm. We were going to move that, and that obviously – means taking the cables from where they are and running them across to another area. Mm. Now that we know that's all there and we can't really disturb much around that, then we'll probably have to leave that there and maybe put something around it because people can't go up mm. and touch the little okay. substation. Yes. So, and maybe that's where we'll put the interpretive signage, for example. You mm. might put some signage yeah, around there, around there with go. some pictures, yeah. etc. So it is frustrating. I get that. I'd love to have this area finished. Once it's opened up, it'll be utilised by a lot of people. I think it'll be fantastic. But, again, we've got to go through this process and get it right. So, yep, a bit frustrating, but it's happening. And and you asked the question there, a time frame. That was a question that we asked yeah, as well. Yeah, fair call. And I've got no answer for you. <laughs> okay. It's each day that goes past, the end solution is a day closer. Mm. Does that help? Mm. One day closer to rain, as they used to sort of say when the <laughs> drought was on. It's a bit like that, yeah, isn't it? that's right. So, anyway, it's happening. It's progressing. As I say to everyone, part of my job is to make sure we communicate, let people know yes. what's going on. I don't know that people always agree with what's going on, but at least they know the why and the what and the how, uh, if not necessarily agreeing with it. You have it. the patience of Job, I'll tell you. Now, Matt, getting back to uh, the council meeting, there's a couple of things here uh, I'd like to pick up in regards to it. One of the interesting sort of discussions that appears have sort of picked up was um, in regards to this whole idea of setting up um, a resilience action plan. Um, so I'm assuming this is in regards to council making sure that when the next talk about droughts, when the next drought hits, that we are a better place, I suppose, to be able to deal with the, the impact of the drought here in our city. The best time to do some drought planning is when you've got rain. Absolutely. Best time to do flood planning is when you've got drought. Yes. And that's exactly the scenario here. So there's a notice of motion put forward for the council meeting during the week, which was approved by councillors, resolved by council. And that said that we want to see a report that looks at the strategies that have been implemented 
since the 2019 drought for some resilience. And we're mainly talking mm. about water supply here, but just in general, mm. in drought conditions, what have we done so far to create a more resilient community? Because have, have we done some action since the last drought? Absolutely, yeah. And I won't okay. preempt the report, but certainly we've done some work with some bores, some pipelines to get water from bores when the river's not running as fast mm. or not as much water in the river. So various actions like that. Even yep. the way we do our tree planting, where we use what's called the Stockholm method, that can be argued would be a drought condition or, or not a drought condition, something that makes us more resilient when we do have droughts from time to time. Yep. So I think, yes, we definitely have. And that's that was exactly the idea. Councillor Ivy brought, brought this one forward. Mm. That was exactly the idea to see we've done some things. Mm. Let's actually have a look and collate those things we've done. And then the more important part, and this is where Councillor Ivy was definitely intending to go, the more mm. important part was now we can see what we've done that might expose some holes what are we planning? So mm. what are the other things we're considering to make us more drought resilient? Because it's not if the next drought, it's mm. when the next Absolutely. drought. Absolutely, it's going to be, isn't it? That's right. And it, if we're doing our planning properly, mm. we'll say, gee, look at that. We've got these things in place. Glad we did that when mm. things were looking okay because now, gee, we're really using that. Mm. Is this going to be something then maybe too for uh, – in regards to talk about budget there today, um, is this something maybe for uh, next year's sort of budget situation that we have to start planning, putting these sort of measures in place now, putting in anticipation of next year's budget? That's an excellent point because how much would you spend on some of these extra strategies? Oh, I don't know. Mm. Well, that's not really the way you plan a budget. Mm. Having some of these strategies that are required, it may, and again, I don't want to preempt what councillors might do, but sure. the report may come back and it may say, well, we've done these things, but what we should be doing is we should be looking at also doing A, B, and C. And then the next logical question from a councillor might be, okay, mm. what are those going to cost? Mm. And then you might put those in a future budget because you might want to undertake those actions. Mm. But at least knowing the cost of something means that you can actually start to budget for it. Yeah, sounds like a good idea. interesting one that got raised. I never really thought, thought too much about this, but I can see why um, it may well be a point that uh, you can sort of start to talk about in regards to the auditing of the signs across the urban areas of our local G- LGA. Um, there's a lot of little signs up all over the place, aren't there? You, know, you go along and um, some are in immaculate condition and others are not so immaculate, uh, let's just put it like that, uh, that are sort of acknowledging certain things that happen in certain areas. It might be a building, it might be a, it might be a park area, it might be a sign acknowledging a bridge or whatever. Um, and it looks like there's going to be an audit done of these signs. So talk me through it. What's, what's the plan here? This is all driven by the fact that sometimes in your own house, you walk in and out of your house and don't notice a spiderweb in the corner. Mm. Someone else walks in, a visitor walks in, and they go, oh, how can we got a spiderweb up there? And we thought about this from a visitor's perspective. We all live in our community. Councils all live in our community. Mm. And we drive around and walk around and look at things. And you're probably used to seeing things a certain way, but when a visitor turns up, they might think, gee, I'd like some more information on that, but this sign, I, I can't really see it. It's a bit mm. faded. Or mm. I'd like some more information on that. And that sign looks like it's a bit damaged. So the idea here is that let's look at the signs. We're not talking about street signs. We're mm. talking about council-owned signs, effectively. Signs that acknowledge a person or a place or a thing. Is that the sort of the idea, those type of signs that are around the place? That's right. And there's a perfect example on Trackerai where the old White Street Bridge, so the bridge that was before the LH Ford Bridge, yes. the White Street Bridge is a sign there to show that. And that looks in old, poor condition. Mm. It's hard to read. 
there is already a process in place to replace some of the signs around Tracker Riley, but that type of thing. Mm. There's still some signs that are signed off by Tony Kelly. Tony Kelly hasn't been the general manager of council since 2004. No. It just looks a bit clumsy. Yep. It looks like we don't, not so much not care about the community, but we're just not keeping up to date with it. Mm. There's signs that still refer to Dubbo City Council or Wellington Shire Council. We've been amalgamated now for seven years. Surely we could get to the point mm. where we could fix up some of those. So yep. it was really just a bit of a update, refresh. The first step will be an audit yeah. to see what signs are out there, what signs might need to be changed, modified, improved, etc. Is, is there a record somewhere in council in regards to where all these signs are placed? I hope so. It might be a long walk around the city for some people otherwise. Yeah, I don't know, actually. I have no idea whether there's a, a good record. Mm. I, I would actually guess not because yeah. a lot of these signs will be done in different projects and yes. it might be that standard silo example where each department, each area does a sign relating to their particular yeah. area, but I don't know there's a central database. No. And that may be, they may do that as a result of this process to say, well, we need to keep up to date with these signs yep. Yep. and and are they all relevant anymore and what can we do? And, and that would be a, actually a really sensible thing to do to then look at where future signs mm. might be needed. It's probably going to require a bit of uh, people input as well. I'd suggest they might be sort of asking, do you know of a, a sign that's nearby your place or on your property or whatever, those sorts of things as well? And that might be a really good way to go about it as well, have one of our staff actually look at what's there, but also then invite some consultation from mm. the public to say, tell us about a sign that you might mm. think needs a bit yeah. of an update, a bit of a refresh, or just the wording change, just fixed up, because yeah. some of those signs have been there for a long time. Absolutely. Now, last week, uh, Matt, I, we talked about the uh, alcohol and uh, drug rehab centre over there, the proposed drug and rehab centre over there, where the location is going to be over there in Spears Drive. Now, the, um, the question I asked you last week is, was in regards to why was it uh, minuted down as one of the points there for the discussions last Thursday night. So talk me through it. How did the discussion go last Thursday night in regards to it? A few things actually I'll talk about in relation to this. Mm. There was a gallery that was pretty full on Thursday night, which was great. I love to yeah. see people in the gallery. It's always good to get the public in there. Oh, yeah, it is. And in the old days before we had streaming, we used to get a fair few people in the gallery regularly, but now people can sit at home in their pyjamas and watch Has council meetings. the heater and that as well. Yeah, yes. so, but it was good to see a full gallery. Now, a few of those people were there because they were interested in the budget. There were some people there who were focused on one particular part of the budget around dogs. Mm. Some people there who wanted us to take fluoride out of the water. Well, it's not in there at the moment, but they don't want to put it back in, so they talked yes. about all the, the dangers of fluoride yes. in our water. And there were some people there from focused on the alcohol and drug. And so that's great. And mm. public forums are always interesting. And for the first time ever, I can't remember doing it in my last term of council, the entire term of council, mm. and I certainly can't remember doing it as mayor, we have our code of meeting practice. And it's very strict. Again, you talk about the rules you have in place yes. around the partnership agreement, and this is yes. the sort of thing. Our code of meeting practice is very strict in a, everything that it's got in there. These are the rules you must follow in terms of a meeting. And Myself, as the chairperson yeah. of that meeting, I must make sure people adhere to that. We have a section there called Public Forum. Right. Public Forum states you've got 30 minutes for Public Forum. Each speaker is allowed a maximum of five minutes to speak. Right. And so what I do as a standard thing, just to make it easy for people, mm. to say rather than five minutes and I just cut them off, at four minutes 30, I've got a bell, I ding the bell. At that's five minutes, I'll adjudicate a timekeeper sort of thing. There <laughs> exactly, it is. That's, that's exactly where I've stolen yeah. it from. <laughs> <laughs> and then at five minutes, I ding the bell a couple of times and say, that's it, you've, yep. your time is now finished. And so that's fine. And so you get to people talking. Not everyone uses their five minutes. They say what they've got to say. Mm. But you, you have got a maximum of 30 minutes. For the first time ever, in certainly in my time mm. at council, we reached that 30-minute 
time limit. Oh, did you really? And, and so what? I had to say, that's it for the time limit. But again, go back to the code of meeting practice. Mm-hmm. The code of meeting practice allows me to ask if any councillors wish to extend the time. Mm-hmm. And so a councillor can then move a motion from the floor to say, please extend the time, say how long they extend it for. You can debate that amount mm. and then we can continue on. So a councillor move that, please extend the time by 20 minutes. We did that. That was resolved. And so then we can continue on with public forum. Right. We only had about another four or five minutes left yeah, of people I was say, to talk. Have public forum for only an hour. Wow. Well, it ended up being probably 35, 40 yeah, minutes, which, again, is, is fantastic. Well, it's good to get the community input, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. right. So some of the people that spoke at public forum mm. spoke still with a, a lack, and I don't want to be rude to these people, but they, they still didn't understand council's role mm. with the Alcohol and Other Drugs Rehabilitation Centre. Some people stood at public forum and said, we don't think the model you've got's right. Detox shouldn't be done there. Now, I have no idea where, where detox is being done. Mm. I'm not an expert on these types of facilities, but detox shouldn't be done there. Can you please move the detox from this facility and do the detox up at the hospital? Now, public forum is not designed for question and answer. And in no. fact, another part of our code of meeting practice says that it's not designed for public to ask questions and get answers back. I'm sure you must have felt like saying, go and talk to state health. <laughs> well, that's the, the sort of problem it really was that you you really want to say sometimes mm. in public forum, no, that's wrong, but mm. people are having their say. So they were saying, please move this part of it. And again, it's not our facility. No. We don't decide what operations are being undertaken in that facility. Mm. Some people were saying, council, please support this notice of motion going forward. It's really important you support this notice of motion. And it was Councillor Pam Wells who brought forward the notice of motion. Please support Councillor Wells in this notice of motion. We really need to move it from Spears Drive to Bungle Gumby Drive. And again, mm. the motion didn't actually say that. So no. people hadn't really taken a lot of notice of the exactly of the wording of the motion. Now, again, yep. I'm not trying to be harsh on people, but but we've got to follow what's written down. Yep. A couple of things there before I talk about the motion. One thing that I think Councillor Wells did really well was there is a not often used part of a council meeting called question on notice. Right. Sometimes people use a notice of motion as a way to communicate or point out something to the public because the public looks at the meeting papers mm. and we talk about them at council. But it's a bit of a clumsy way to use it sometimes. Mm. The questions on notice is a much cleverer way to use it. So if you've got something you want to highlight to the public or some information you want to get from council, sure, as a councillor you could just send an email to the CEO and say, can you give me this information? Mm. But a nicer way to do it sometimes if you want the public to know about it is to put a question on notice. Right. So Council Wells did put a, a question on notice and wanted to know all about the timeline and the various public commitments we had around provision of land from council to the Department of Health or Western Local Health District in relation to the Alcohol and Other Drugs Rehab Centre. So that was good. That gave a really good timeline. I know you'd probably say... Listen to last week's podcast. There you go. <laughs> Listen to last week's podcast. <laughs> it did. I didn't want to say it, but anyway. <laughs> it, did, it did lay it out fairly clearly. But also yeah. now in our business papers, you've got the timeline of all that background and making it incredibly obvious to everyone mm. that mm. there was no prior resolution of council yeah. to give away a pass of land. So that was all there on record. But the... And sorry, before I get to the notes of motion, the other part that was interesting was that as a result of the May council meeting mm. where council formally opposed the location in Spears Drive. Yes. So that's a council resolution. We also said we continue to work with Western Local Health District to find a suitable location. Mm. So part of that, I sent a letter off to Ryan Park, the minister, and said, 
here's a council resolution, put the exact wording mm. of it there. We oppose the current location. We're happy to continue to work with mm. you. Now, I waited a couple of weeks. I thought that was a reasonable time frame for an answer to come back. Normally it is for most people, sort of think two weeks should be more than enough. And I sent another email to say, I've sent this email yep. and I've received nothing yeah. back. Is there anything else or did you not receive it or whatever? Yeah, yeah. And I received an answer back to that one then right. and said, we've received your email. It's been recorded and, and yes, it's mm. entered the system. It's being reviewed at the moment as we speak and we'll come back to you. Right. On the day before the council meeting, a media release was put out by the minister. Right. And the minister talked about the health facility and that they're working towards different things and there's different options. And so I saw the media release. I got but sent that by... Why, why didn't they send you an inf this information prior to, though? Like, why did you have to wait for a media release to get it? And it did seem strange. I know a, another minister from the current state <laughs> government actually talked to me about another incident where there was a conversation going on via media releases between the government yeah. and a different organisation and they weren't overly impressed with this idea of communication via media release. Yeah. And, and I thought, well, that's exactly what's happening here. Yeah. So I actually sent an email back again to the minister and said, I received a copy of this media release last night from mm. the media. Mm. I wonder if there's a formal piece of communication that's going to come out. By the way, there's a council meeting on Thursday night. I'd really like some formal communication back from the department. Yeah to take to that council meeting yeah. rather than relying on the information in a media release. Yeah. But I haven't received any response to look, this point in time. Now, I, look, I, I can say this because I'm sitting here, but I find that incredibly rude, to be honest. Um, the, the fact that you're in a situation there like that where WA City Council are one of the major stakeholders from the point of view within the whole operation here. And when the mayor himself is actually asking for um, some information in regards to what's the New South Wales Health considering in regards to this and to find out via a media release rather than any sort of personal contact, I'm sorry, but that's, that's as rude as hell. Um, it really is. And the media release had a few errors in there, so it did look like it was a bit of a rushed media release. Yeah, right. I mean, one of the things, I won't get into the grammatical errors and the incorrect use of the word alternate and alternative, but one of the things that I thought was significant in there, and again, adds to that council confusion, mm. was the reference that it had in terms of the transfer of the program or the, the, the whole process uh, from council to the state. And that's where a bit of confusion. I'll read one sentence from mm. you. This is one sentence out of the media release. Dubbo Regional Council originally proposed this facility in 2018 and responsibility for constructing the facility along with associated funding was transferred to Western New South Wales Wait Local Health District in 2022. When did council ever agree to turn around and construct the facilities? And that's exactly the point. So that's obviously... This came from the minister. This is from the minister, signed, well, presumably signed off by the minister, from the department, it came out as a media release. So that was one glaring so error. rude, he's also wrong. <laughs> that's... And I probably shouldn't say that, but, no, but you well, can say that's that. right. I can, but you can't. Yeah. So the media release talked about a few things, and some people thought this media release was now a game changer and was now saying that council had this fully mm. within its control, but it doesn't. And again, I'll read a couple of other excerpts from it for you before I get to the notes of motion. It says that Western New South Wales local health district has acquired a site on Spears Drive that it can move forward with to undertake community consultation and planning. So it sounds like they're moving forward. It says. New South Wales Minister for Regional Health, Ryan Park, has encouraged the WA Regional Council to come forward with alternate locations 
for the Dubbo Rear Hope Centre, as I said, incorrect use of the word alternate, but mm-hmm. pretend you had mm-hmm. the correct word there, alternative. <laughs> That's fine. We've done that. Yep. We've been doing that over the years. And our last resolution of council said exactly that. At this stage, we can count a minimum mm. of 16 sites across the city where we've said, here's a location that we think would be suitable. Mm. Spears Drive was not one of those sites. Mm. We never suggested Spears Drive. That was nothing that ever came across any discussions. They never came to council and said, oh, what about Spears Drive? Do you like the idea of that? We got as big a surprise about Spears Drive as the Spears Drive community got when it was announced in February this year. So there's no notification saying this is what we're going to declare as well. So that doesn't surprise me right now. That's right. Now, it also says things like, council-owned land at North Bungalgumby was previously considered as a potential site by the LHD, and initial investigations by the LHD indicated it could be appropriate, but in 2022, council staff advised that it was no longer available. Because of... And that's right, and and I would say... precinct now. I would say no longer suitable. Yeah. That's right, but again, so again, they're not saying definitely, oh, look, they're going to move it to North Bungalgumby if you offer that again. I'll go on. If council has alternatives, such as the North Bungalgumby site that meet the requirements of the nature of the service that can be transferred to the local health district and which can be made ready for the project without substantial delays, then I urge them to bring those alternatives to the table so they can be carefully considered. Well, we've been doing that. But again, they talk about they don't want delays. They talk about further no-cost blowouts. So in general, what this media release says is nothing. That is so frustrating. So on the back of all that, we then get to the notice of motion. Now, the notice of motion for Council Wells, and I'll read it exactly so I don't mm. misrepresent this in any way, shape or form. Point one, that Council note its support for the construction of an alcohol and other drugs rehabilitation facility for the Dubbo region. So it doesn't specifically say, because the actual motion right now is the fact they're opposing Spears Drive as a point of development. Correct. So that point one, that's pretty easy one. Yep. Yes, all supportive. Point two, that the CEO provide a report to the July 2023 Ordinary Meeting of Council addressing the financial, regulatory and legal matters around the provision of land for AOD rehabilitation facility. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't say anything about a specific parcel. No. It's being quite sensible. It's about the process. Exactly right. It's saying, well, if we were to provide a parcel of land, and that doesn't say gifted, yep. it says the provision of land, so that might be selling yep. land, it might be giving part of it, is it giving away all the planning, all the yep. rezoning, yep. the sewerage, the water, all the rest of it? Take away the question marks. Just this is the process. That's right. So this is really a report that will come back to July mm. just to outline the councillors. If you were considering some land, here are the things you need to consider in part of that process, mm. which demonstrates further there was never a previous resolution to, mm. to give land away because yeah. obviously they would have had to go, on th- to go through that process previously to get to that point where they're giving it away. Mm. So that's fine. There'll be a report that comes back to the July meeting of council, which will outline those processes. And then from there, council can decide what they do as the next step. In the meantime, reading that media release, Mm. it seems to me more like they're probably going to continue. Now, we oppose Mm. it. We still oppose it. There's no doubt about it. There's a formal resolution. We oppose it. We don't think it's the right location. We don't think any residential area. So as much as Spears Drive is not appropriate, in... North Bungalgumby is not appropriate. But there are other parcels of land, absolutely. As I said, there's been at least 16 parcels of land that council has spoken about with Western Local Health District to try and get to the point where they come up with a decision. They say, yes, that's a good place to put it. But again, 
I don't know if I've mentioned this before, mm. this is not a decision of council. That's right. If people in Spears Drive have got concerns, they obviously do. Yeah. You need to speak to the state government. Yeah. The state government, Ryan Parker's the minister, the health department, Western Local Health District, the state government will make the decision. There is not a single thing that council can do to change the mm. government's mind. Mm. If we could do that, we would have already done it. We've got a formal position that says yeah, yeah. we oppose the location. So if we had it within our power, then we would have already done it. If we had yeah. it within our power, there'd be a council who would have moved a resolution to say, we say we're going to get the state government to build the facility elsewhere. We don't have that power. Yeah. All we can do, again, residents can do, is keep talking to your state government representatives yep. and get them to change the location of oh, it. Absolutely. Let's hope that Ryan Park replies. <laughs> and let's hope I get something from Ryan Park. Now, Matt, uh, moving on to something completely different in regards to though it was raised up there in regards to uh, Thursday night. It appears as though that uh, all the tenders have now been received for the uh, the new contract for the Dubbo Regional Council Aquatic Leisure Centre. So, where are we standing? So, at the moment, it was a confidential report, so I can't talk about the exact contents of the report. Okay, but I can talk about the outcomes. At the moment, we received a variety of tenders. Some of those tenders were open to taking all three locations. That's Dubbo, Geary and Wellington. Right. Some tenders said they just take, and, that, and tenders is the wrong word, sorry, proposals, because this wasn't a tender process, it was okay. a proposal process. Yep. Some proposals said they just take Dubbo. No proposals came in to say they take Wellington by itself or right. Geary by itself yep. or Wellington, Geary together. But as a three, it's okay. Correct. So yep. this is the decision councillors had to make was where do we go with this? Mm. Do we have someone that takes all three? Do we have someone that takes one in Dubbo and leaves the other two internal? Mm. Where do we go with this? So at the moment, what we've said is we've recommended that we take a proposal from one of those organisations, right. and that's an organisation called Belgravia Leisure. Right. So we've said we recommend going that way, but we're not making a final decision on that until the 30th of June. Okay. We've given the CEO uh, permission to take undertake further negotiations. We've delegated that to him just to confirm costings and make mm. sure we get every part of that right. Mm. And then that'll come back, as I said, to a meeting on the 30th of June. Now, that meeting will be presumably a fairly short meeting. There'll be one item on the agenda, yep. which will be to decide on the pool. Now, that even though we've gone so far at this stage with a recommendation around Belgravia, mm. that doesn't mean they're going to get it. Yep. But obviously they're in a stronger position than mm, anyone else. Mm. Like being ahead at half time, yes, you're in a stronger right. position. Yep. So that discussion will occur, information will come back, and then a final decision will be made to whether to go external mm -hmm. or internal, and also to choose which one of the various proposals we receive, which one to go with. Okay. And and again, Belgravia Leisure at the moment is the one that the CEO is having discussions with, mm. but councillors could still go with a different okay. one if they needed to. Well, I think come around about that 30th of June, we'll pick it up then. I said, in regards to talking further about the discussions then. Now, it appears as though uh, during the week, of course, that um, Mr. Mark Colton, 15 year anniversary dinner. That's uh, a big achievement there for um, one of our local members here. It's a fair commitment of your life, isn't years. it? It's a long time, isn't it, in regards right. to federal politics? And I've got to say, everyone that spoke on the night 
whether it be on a microphone or just privately, yes. spoke about the Mark and Robin team. All right, yes. Robin, yes. his wife. Behind every great man's a great woman, as they say. Well, beside in this case, oh, because course, yes, that's Robin does. Far more politically correct these well, days. Well, but I, I suppose my point there is that Robin basically travels with Mark. Oh, okay. Wherever Mark yeah, goes, right. pretty much Robin's there. Yeah. And so the government really gets a, a free employee because mm. Robin goes along and helps out and Good does on. various things for Mark. So he's got someone else. And again, they do it because it's a lifestyle choice. Mm. The kids have left home now, so Robin could sit back at home and do the knitting or yeah. she could get out on the road with Mark, which she doesn't. I, mm. I quite enjoy Robin's company as well as Mark's. So it's nice when you see them both together. Wonderful. And uh, Yeah, it is quite nice. So people did talk about that a lot that said we've almost got a two-for-one deal from, yes. from the yes. government or the taxpayer's perspective. Yep. But 15 years is a fair commitment of your oh, life. Absolutely. So I think yeah, yeah. that's that's quite significant as well. But on the night, it was Friday night, the dinner was held, and you had uh, the Honourable David Littleproud, MP. Okay. So he's the leader of the Nationals at the moment yeah, yeah, in the yeah. federal government. So he spoke. Actually, I sat at the same table as David, so I had yep. a good chance. I did get to mention REAC to David as well. Good. Now, the state government's not responsible for renewable... Sorry, the federal government's not responsible for renewable energy zones. The state mm. government is. But it's just another chance to get REAC Absolutely. talked about. Yeah, and, yeah. and I talked to him about some of the concept and the proposal there. Uh, but again, it's just good to talk to, to David. And then Senator Jacinda Price who's the Shadow Minister for Indigenous Australians, was also there. Oh, she was there as well. Okay. And that's right. Yep. And so they were the two draw cards, if you like, but mm. Michael McCormick was there. Uh, he also spoke. But you had some ex police as well, John Anderson. Oh, right. Uh, John Cobb. And I had I used to do a little bit with John Cobb previously yes. when he was the member for both it's parks. Like the uh, National Party Illuminati there. They're all, they're it, all there. It's a bit like that. So he was a member for parks and then became the member for Calair. So right. that's around the Orange area. So I had a little bit to do with John in previous years. But... Yep. I almost didn't recognise him because he didn't have his moustache. He used to always have this big, yes, bushy right. moustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had a chat to him. But look, a, a nice night. And I think I mean, one of the things that people talked about there on the night was that you do have politicians who get the title honourable mm. when they're a minister. So federal government, you've got that title for life. Mm. And some of the police talked about this publicly. They said sometimes people have the title honourable but the title is all they have. Mm. As in with Mark, it was the opposite. Before he received the title of Honourable, mm. he was always Honourable mm. and sincere and genuine and very much someone that you could rely on, you could trust. Mm. Yes, he's now got the title Honourable, mm. but it actually fits That's Mark. right. It's almost like you earned that title. That's yes. right. Yeah. So anyway, it was a nice night. Mm. And uh, it was actually Mark, in his speech, mentioned myself because he does still have scars on his bottom from a bike ride that I conned him into many years ago <laughs> to do some fundraising. i that one. <laughs> <laughs> but he often talks about that in public when he'll say, yeah, oh, I've got Matthew Dickinson over there and uh, 2013, he may be getting a bike and riding around. <laughs> and you know, it was a great fundraising event we did for Macquarie Homestay. But he likes to talk about that because... Well, that was one of his big achievements, wasn't it, really? Like, he, he really pushed that. Well... Probably secondary part of that, the cancer centre, mm. he certainly had a lot to do with, but the cancer centre is here, but people need to stay somewhere. And so Macquarie mm. Homestay fits in very yeah. nicely with the cancer centre there. So, mm. yeah, look, a, a nice night. And again, congratulations to Mark from the bottom of my heart. I've mm. enjoyed dealing with Mark all my time as mayor previously and now. There's only one federal member that the Parks Extra has had, so the mm. Dubbo's had, yes. and that's been Mark Coulton. So it's been a, an absolute pleasure working with Mark. So congratulations Absolutely. on the he 15 hit. years. He didn't say how many years he's going to keep going for, mm. but he's, he's done a, a sterling 15 years so far. That's a great achievement. Well, mate, this gets towards the end of the show, and of course it's time for your Limerick of the Week. So uh, 
Boy, oh boy, I don't think we've covered so many topics in one podcast. We got through a heap there today. So out of all those areas that we focus on, which one are you going to focus on for your Limerick of the Week? I'm actually finding it harder mm. to decide on which topic rather than actually writing the Limerick. The Limerick seems to come easier <laughs> than going, all those things there, which one could I focus on? Yes. But I can't go past... A limerick about Mark Colton. Oh, well, that's nice. It's just very appropriate too, I'd suggest, after yeah, what right. we just spoke about. So, here we go for Mark. For Mark Colton, let's raise a cheer. Serving Parks now into his 16th year. In the federal sphere, he's a star. His influence felt near and far. He is known for being honourable and sincere. Oh, well done. And well done again to the Honourable Mark Colton on 15 years of great service. Well, folks, that just about wraps us up for a, another podcast of Straight From The Mayor's Mouth. Until next week, everyone, you guys take care. Straight From The Mayor's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. <laughs>